Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. And today we are talking about Black Widow. Um, we're talking about it a little bit late due to some storms we had this week here in uh, the Omaha, Nebraska area um, that knocked out power. So uh, thank you for your patience as we bring you this episode a little bit later. We are recording this on Monday, July 12th, which has bought us a little bit extra time in terms of some conversations that we're, we're going to be having today. So there, there are some benefits to this getting pushed back a little bit. Um, in particular, uh, one film that premiered at the Cannes Film Festival uh, today that we're getting a little information about. So we, we can talk about that a little bit here in a moment. Um, but I wanted to kind of start out by talking about some of the other movies that um, were scheduled to come out this past weekend. Um, and I think this is kind of a nice way to uh, really start our show every week because um, we don't have the opportunity to see everything. And uh, sometimes we just don't really know what's out there unless people talk about it. Um, so uh, even if some of these movies aren't in theaters or available to you currently. Uh, these are the movies that are being released based upon the website firstshowing.net, which uh, just kind of gives a list of movies that are being released each and every week and um, kind of puts them on our radar a little bit. Um, so last week we talked about the movie Fear Street Part 1 on uh, 1994, which was released on Netflix. Um, they released the second part of that this week before they'll release the third part this upcoming week. Um, and so this, this new part, Fear Street Part 2, 1978, is also being released on Netflix. Uh, it currently has a 6.8 on IMDb and a 61 Metascore. And uh, from what I have heard about this, this film is it's a little bit different than the part one, like has a, a slightly different feel. Um, so people have that maybe liked one or the other, uh, maybe didn't like the other one quite as much. Um, I haven't seen either of them yet. Uh, it, it, they are the sort of movie that I would maybe be interested in seeing down the line. If uh, <laughs> I have some time to just sit down and watch a movie and I'm in the mood for that type of movie. Um, but from, from everything that I've heard, these movies, they're, they're not amazing, but they are entertaining. And I presume that for, the horror movie fan that they, they probably are entertaining enough to, to sit down and watch. They're probably perfect for uh, the Netflix, just straight to streaming type of uh, release because um, I mean, Netflix doesn't have, I would say that's probably a 6.8 is a probably about their average quality of uh, film or TV show. Not to, I'm not nothing against Netflix. It's just that they're, known for just releasing a ton of content and so some of that is reliable to just miss sometimes but i mean 6.8 there's gonna be people that are gonna watch it i think didn't you say it was in the top 10 of the most streamed shows right now i think i'm not sure i didn't see that um on on netflix that it was maybe the first part was was uh in the top 10. So and that makes sense. It's, it is the type of movie that um, the average Netflix watcher is interested in watching. And so uh, you can't, you can't blame Netflix for 
uh, purchasing something like this because they know who their audience is. And that's the sort of thing that, that um, the average watcher who sees a bunch of stuff, they're very likely to, to click on that and watch it. So I'm not surprised you, at all. You know, it makes me think, we, we talk about the blending of TV and movies and how there isn't a very noticeable difference between them nowadays. Yeah. This being a three-part like basically a trilogy they don't call it a tv show right but it's being released almost as if it's a tv series in the sense that it's all right next to each other it's week to week i mean now the the, the lines between film and tv are being blurred all that much more with this type of movie they, series they definitely are and i think in the last couple of years that's been a big uh big question is whether or not something like um uh, Steve McQueen's small act series, whether those are separate movies or if they are a packaged uh, miniseries, which that's in, that ended up being the way they went. But uh, there's kind of this blurred line in the way that uh, we are digesting content. And um, yeah, I think it makes it makes it interesting, especially for Netflix, who has been uh, who is now known for um, the idea of binging a TV show. Uh, they kind of changed the game in terms of that uh, for, for folks that don't like to wait, just releasing everything at once. So to see them release three separate movies that still have this connection and doing it over the course of three separate weeks um, is kind of an interesting move from Netflix. Uh, and they clearly are are promoting these as movies and not as some miniseries Um like like they do for a lot of their other shows so anyway i think that's it, it is at least an interesting uh title to talk about because of that conversation and uh just the way that netflix um has changed the game uh, the other two movies other than obviously black widow which we'll get to later um but the other two movies that came out this week uh they don't seem to be any you can't get them on video on demand right now. And they don't seem to be anywhere in theaters around us here, um, which leads me to believe that they may kind of trickle out. We may get them at some of the independent theaters around the area. Um, maybe they get uh, one screen for a week at, uh, at the AMCs and the Marcus theaters and places like that. Um, but the first is a documentary called The Loneliest Whale to Search for 52. And uh, currently has an 8.3 on IMDb and a 66 Metascore. Um, and it looks interesting. I, I watched the trailer for it and it's about this whale that's uh, frequency that it puts sound at is um, on a different frequency than other whales. So it can't communicate with other whales. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they, they were kind of searching for, they're searching for this whale and they're trying to understand um, what it might be like to be this whale because this whale has probably never had an inter interaction with other whales basically its entire life. Um, and so it, lo it looks like an interesting documentary, um, especially if you kind of like that science-y, uh, those science-y types of documentaries. Um, but it's gotten good enough reviews that to me, it seems like it might be interesting to, to see if it does ever pop up around here or if it's on some streaming services. Um, but that was another release we had this week. I'm presuming you hadn't heard of it, Danny, before. Um, there's another movie that came out this week, some places called Summertime, and it follows like 25 different uh, 
Los Angeles citizens and their stories kind of dissect and intersect. And uh, this one has a 6.9 on IMDb and a 65 Metascore. Um, the only reason this is interesting to me is because it has the same director as Blind Spotting, which I never saw, but uh, it was really, really well received critically. Um, and uh, it kind of slipped through the cracks for me and I just never ended up going to, to, to see that film. But um, the, this looks like it's a pretty artsy film that does some interesting things. Uh, that kind of break the norms of your typical, um, the typical movie that you, you would see. So uh, I do have some interest in seeing this. Uh, I don't know if it will get to us before it ends up on video on demand, but um, uh, seems like this week we have, we, we maybe don't have as many duds as we had last week, despite all of the, the films that came out, but uh, there wasn't a lot other than black widow nobody wanted to compete against black widow this week it seems like yeah and that's by design they don't want to right they don't want to go up against black widow yeah and that's interesting that says a lot about black widow and um i think that uh that can be kind of part of our conversation is where we are reviewing this film um is talking about uh just how much of a force these sorts of movies are um Let's switch in gears here a little bit and talk about uh, the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, we are still in the middle of this. I think they've only made it through about half of the festival at this point. So there's still um, a full week left. Um, and, uh, but we've gotten some, some response back in terms of uh, what seems to be good and what should be on our radar. Um, what's some of the titles that, that, have stuck out to you from what you've seen from those who have attended the festival this far? Well, there's one that I knew going into it that I was excited for, and that's Annette, but we've already talked about that. But one that I forgot that was going to be at Cannes that I knew um, that, that I was reminded of recently was uh, The Souvenir Part 2. Um, the director, I believe her name's Joanna Hogg, and she directed, obviously, Souvenir Part 1, uh, in 2019, I think it was released. And that movie, I think was on, it was definitely on my top 10 favorite movies of the year that year. I can't remember where exactly it fell, but um, I am pumped for this, particularly just because, and again, you, you hear all sorts of stuff from Cannes and it's definitely, you know, a filtered through people that are just part of the film industry basically. And so they, they might have more of a biased view, but I'm hearing that this is a really good movie and maybe he's even better than part one. So um, I'm really excited for it. I know that it's, it's um, mostly autobiographical of her life, I think. And so I'm assuming that this next part is going to really tackle her life becoming a filmmaker. And maybe that's why people like it so much is that it is, you know, meta in that way about film. Um, but I'm really excited about that. Um, there's a bunch of others that I've I've heard about, but you're gonna have to to list them, and we'll talk about them individually because I can't think of any particularly right now. Okay, so I do want to just say a couple things about Souvenir Part Two. Um, I also liked the original film, uh, maybe not quite as much as you did. I thought it was uh, a very interesting film with fantastic performances uh, that at times uh, made you feel very uncomfortable. 
Um, but it, it's a very interesting film that uh, really shows off that Hogg is a fantastic director with a great vision. Um, when the film ended, I didn't necessarily believe that it needed a second part. Um, like that wasn't like that, that wouldn't have been on my radar if I hadn't heard that that was going to be a possibility. Um, and so that's, that's interesting. It's an interesting uh, kind of sequel because it is not the typical movie that receives a sequel. And so the fact that they decided to make one um, is, is very unique. Um, and so I am intrigued by this. I have also heard some good things about this film um, and a lot of people kind of going into it with uh, lowered expectations because it is kind of bizarre <laughs> that the film has a sequel, but it seems like it exceeded a lot of people's expectations. Um, and so I, I guess I will probably enter watching this film with um, pretty level expectations because I had lower expectations and now they've raised a little bit. Um, but I'm not going to, I don't think I want to hype it up too much just because yeah, I don't want to be disappointed. Um, mm -hmm. But I am excited about getting to see that cast again, um, getting to see the interesting way in which the film, the initial film was, was filmed, see if that kind of carries over. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I'm pretty excited about that. One thing about that movie, though, too, is that a uh, big reason why I like the souvenir so much was the performance from the male actor. And I'm his name is uh, escaping me right now. But um, that performance is so good that I'm, I'm hoping that this will kind of still uh, still capture me. I think that the the uh, Tilda Swinton and her daughter, obviously, who is the lead actor in this, um, they give great performances as well. So I'm excited for that. But uh, um, the actor's name is Tom Burke. Uh, and Tom he, Burke. he had portrayed uh, Orson Welles in right. um, yeah. Mank. Yep, yeah, in Mank. That was um, one of my favorite performances of that year. So I was like... Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic in that first one. So hopefully we get another outstanding performance like that in this. Um, even though we're not going to see him. Um, at least I don't think we're going to see him at all unless there's some sort of like flashbacks or stuff like that. So um, anyway, uh, very interesting uh, that this, this is a uh, big time <laughs> uh, sequel for, for a film that typically you wouldn't expect to have a sequel yeah. and then be highlighted at a festival like the Cannes Film Festival. Um, makes it even even more interesting currently has an 8.3 on imdb but that's such a small amount of yeah. uh, um, reviews does have 12 critical reviews uh on metascore and they it has 100 right now so uh, i don't know what that says about the film but uh it's kind of kind of interesting yeah. um in terms of some of the other stuff that uh popped up um the film after yang which is uh, made by, I, I'm going to mess up. I don't know how to pronounce his, his name and we're, we're going to figure it out before the film hits theaters. Um, uh, Kogo Nada, Kogo Nada uh, that just has a singular, singular title, but he had directed the film Columbus from 2017, which is one of my favorite films of that year. Um, and I am very, very excited to see this film after Yang, uh, which follows a 
family in the near future and kind of their uh, interaction with AIs. And so I think it kind of has a drama, it's a drama science fiction based film. Um, and I just based upon what, what we have received from this, this seems like the sort of movie that is probably going to be an awards player. Um, and just getting maybe a nomination or two uh, at the Oscars would be a huge step up for this filmmaker and kind of putting him on the map. I don't have any illusions that it is going to go through and win a bunch of awards, but my gut tells me that this is going to be a big uh, critic's favorite and um, will probably get carried on the back of critics uh, the whole way through. Um, and right now has a 91 Metascore, um, 8.1 on IMDb. Um, and yeah, I've heard absolutely outstanding things about it. So I'm really, really excited about this. Is film. he writing it too? Does he, he write it? He, well, he, he wrote the screenplay. Um, it's based off of a short story from a collection of sto short stories. Um, but yeah, he, he wrote the screenplay as well. I'm a sucker for sci-fi movies. And I, I think that the last... 10 years there's been some really pretty creative cool sci-fi movies that are a little bit more uh low budget in some senses so that that allow for you to be a little bit more creative and introspective and focus less on the spectacle of everything right um so i'm, I'm excited for that yep yep um me me too uh so we talked a little bit about Annette. We knew Annette was going to be the big movie, come, one of the big movies coming out. Uh, it was the opening film of the Cannes Film Festival. Um, and it seems like it got mostly positive reviews, but uh, nobody, I don't think anybody is going to make the argument that it's the best movie coming out of uh, the Cannes Film Festival. Um, it, it seems like it's probably a little too bizarre to have much of a leg on it in terms of um, being a... Uh, universally um, loved film. I think it's probably going to have a little bit of that uh, either you love it or you hate it sort of feel. Um, maybe even in between a little bit. It's like, yeah, it was pretty good, but there's some problems with it. And, um, that's just kind of the feel I get from from what, what we have heard thus far. Um, but it started things off kind of with the hypersexualized theme that seems to be <laughs> going through um can film festival this year uh, i've seen lots of jokes about how it just seems like one movie after another movie after another movie um is premiering that is just highly sexualized and this just happens to be one of those movies um the other movie that uh has been getting a a lot of buzz is benedetta um which is paul verhoven um, and Paul Verhoeven, uh, his most recent film that kind of had some traction was a film called L. Um, they, they got some award buzz a few years back. Um, I think it even got a Oscar nomination for Best uh, Actress mm -hmm. um, for Isabel Huppert that year, uh, which, you know, that, that takes a lot for a foreign film to get into those sorts of categories. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, it had, uh, I don't know that it got nominated for Best Foreign Film, but it won Best Foreign Film at the Golden Globes. Um, and so he's a well-respected uh, director. 
And this time he decided to make a, essentially a non-sex movie, <laughs> lesbian sex movie, uh, nonetheless. Uh, so it, it has received a lot of buzz. I think that it probably um, also is not going to be one of the best movies at the, the festival, uh, but I am still interested in seeing it. Um, and I will when it comes out. I think that it's also the type of movie that it seems like it's just so um, unexpected and uh, maybe bizarre or shocking that a lot of critics just can't not talk about it. You know what I mean? And so critics like movies that that are easy, that, that give them a lot to talk about more so than a movie that um, they might think is technically really good, but doesn't say a lot. And so uh, I think this will be interesting. Like you said, I don't, I don't have expectations that this will be the best movie or that I'll even necessarily like this movie, but I'll probably see it at some point when it's available to see. Um, the other thing that I was going to say uh, real quick, and I, you might have a couple more can movies to talk about, but I was going to mention that uh, something that is funny with can is just how they measure uh you know the the how much the critics like the movie by how long the uh, applause is yep. and they like showed a shot of like adam driver and uh, the spark brothers as they're being like they are during that five minute standing ovation for um for annette and I, i'm thinking like man to be part of a five minute standing ovation that would be like kind of terrible <laughs> you know what I mean just to stand there for five minutes and that's not even isn't there like a record for like nine or 12 minutes or something like there's there's been longer standing ovations and gosh that seems crazy to to clap that long yeah I saw something going around on uh twitter uh that was like a uh it listed all of the like the longest standing ovations that can and like one of them was like over 20 minutes. Um, and so, um, but it's funny to see which movies receive these standing ovations. Like some of them, it's like, really? That that got it? Uh, so yeah, the, if listeners want to try to go find that, that thing that was going around, I can't find it here on, um, on Twitter real quick, but uh, yeah, it has a list of like the longest standing ovations and they're all like 10 minutes plus. Um, but yeah, you're right. They, the Cannes Film Festival, for whatever reason, that is their way of showing love to these filmmakers and cast and crew uh, at, at the Cannes Film Festival. And it's funny to also watch as people who are at who, who have been going to these showings. Um, they say that like it's really embarrassing when certain movies, the movie gets over and nobody claps. Um, <laughs> Like knowing that this is uh, a an aspect of the experience is that there's kind of this expectation that there's some clapping, but when there's none, uh, that has to just like absolutely be a dagger to those filmmakers' hearts. Um, anyway, yes, that's that's funny. That's a fun thing to bring up there. Um, I really just want to for right now just want to talk about one more movie um, that is playing. I'm sure once every all the dust is settled and we kind of see what got rewards and what what comes out in the days after, because everything that we get, we're getting right now is kind of uh, just reactionary. 
and there isn't that time for it to settle in because they're putting that information out there and then they're moving on to the next movie. So we're not getting this conversation that lasts a long time right now. So we're gonna, it's going to be interesting to see when the dust settles um, what, what kind of still is being talked about or what has passed kind of as being just um, in the moment. People have these things to say about it, but now they've kind of forgotten about it since they've seen 20 plus movies over the course of this, this period of time. But today was the premiere of the French Dispatch. And um, a lot of the reactions that are coming out uh, are obviously, once again, just people have just finished seeing this film, um, but they seem to be pretty dang positive. Um, and from everything that I have read, it seems as though uh, if you are a fan of Wes Anderson, you will be a fan of this film. Um, and it just it seems kind of as if he is just taking it up a notch in every aspect, every with every film that, that comes out. Um, they said, from what I've read, they've said it's a little bit more like Grand Budapest Hotel um, than, than the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, but you expect that, just the way it looks. Uh, the production design, I would presume, will be a huge player come Oscar time. Um, something I read, there's never been a Wes Anderson actor that has ever been nominated for a role in his film, like one of his, one of his characters. Hmm. Uh, they've never had an Oscar nomination for many of his films. So it's going to be interesting to see if this gigantic cast of uh, characters, if they can they can push one out and get finally get a, a nomination here for um, somebody in this film. Um, I didn't know that it was coming out today, and so um, I just looked on Twitter to see a couple of uh, reactions, and uh, it seems like there's positivity about the performances, but then also positivity about just the craft of it, which is interesting given the fact that people come into a Wes Anderson movie expecting a certain level from him as a director in terms of the craft, but there seems to be a lot of people pretty impressed with it. Sounds like there's a little bit of animation that is uh, included in the film at some point. Um, and so mixing that kind of those formats, I think is maybe uh, going to be interesting to see how that's done. Well, I, and I got to say that, Obviously, this is still very early and you expect to have a little bit of backlash because that always happens when there's a bunch of positive reviews that come out initially. There's always those few people that come in and they have to undercut it, uh, whether it's uh, warranted or not. It's just the way it goes. Um, but I got to say that uh, I am somewhat relieved because we have invested in this as a big part of our podcast over the next few months here. And it would be pretty disappointing for us to have been building this up only to arrive at the French Dispatch and have it be a complete crap film. Um, so I think there's something that is coming out about this film that uh, is exciting and it gets me just that much more excited to finally get a chance to see it when it comes out in October. And I think he's the type of director that, you know, it, he's not gonna make every audience member happy but he'll get you to maybe think about something that you might not have thought about before, or um, he'll present something in a way that you might not have seen it before. And so that's what makes his, his movies a, always a, a good movie going experience. 
you bet. Um, so we'll we'll get back to talking about Can Can Film Festival here. Um, probably the next couple episodes, we'll talk a little bit about it. Each of those times that we definitely want to talk about the awards that come out in terms of the festival and kind of what uh, seems to be positioning positioning itself to make a uh, award run here. Um, where some of these films haven't been acquired yet by studios, so. Uh, movies that get picked up in front by distribution companies, whether that's Netflix or Apple or Amazon or whoever, who's to, are going to go in and buy some of these films to, to make a big awards run. Um, we're going to be finding those things out here in the next couple of weeks. So we'll continue to talk about it as we, we move forward. Um, before we go to our break, I do want to have one final conversation here uh, because it is related to our um, review today. Um, we've been talking, we talk a lot about the idea between, um, kind of the way the industry is moving in terms of, uh, theatrical runs versus, uh, the, the streaming, um, or same day streaming releases and, uh, what this means for the industry. And, uh, the big first kind of jump into this and post pandemic was within the Heights. And we found that it didn't work out probably too well for Warner brothers as they didn't make hardly any money. I think that they have still to this to date have only made like $40 million or something like that. Uh, between um, all, all of their theater all the theaters showing the film across the world. So uh, I would say that that was probably a pretty big disappointment. And it's hard to say how much uh, them playing it on HBO Max actually cut into that. And if they would have made a bunch more money, if it was only theatrical, or if people just aren't really interested in this film. But kind of putting that behind us, thinking about Black Widow, Black Widow open this weekend basically against no new movies, which is gave, gave us a good indication of um, sort of how successful this film was in a post-pandemic uh, environment. And over the weekend, it made $80 million in the theaters. And then Disney released that it made an additional $60 million on its Disney Plus platform for those who chose to rent the film um, for I believe it was still a $30 uh, price if you decided to watch it at home. Um, so this kind of brings up an interesting question about whether or not um, Disney Plus cut into its potential to make a bunch of money at the movie theaters or if uh, it really, Disney Plus was able to maximize the amount of money that it, it was going to make. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Danny? I think it's really hard to say, given our current situation. I think that in the, this situation, they actually maximized the amount of money that they were going to make on this movie. But if we were in a, a play place right now that was a little where people were a little bit more comfortable going to the theater and that was their only option they would have lost out on a lot of money by doing the premiere access because yeah sure you you do potentially have people that are watching the movie who 
um, they're a one person and they paid $30 for that. That's a really good uh, uh, profit there essentially. But in all reality, it's probably like maybe families or groups of two or three people or plus. And what you're missing out on then is you're not getting that $10 ticket stub or that $12 ticket stub or that 15, wherever you're, market is that you're watching the movie in where however those tickets are priced you're missing out on that um and so i i see some people saying oh this is doom for movie theaters in the future i think it's just what they had to do for now i don't think that this is something that's going to continue to happen as soon as people they see that people are pretty comfortable going to the theater they're going to push more the theater side in fact i think that the 80 million dollar box office um, performance. I think that shows that people are willing to go to the theater. Um, and the other thing that makes this different than say in the Heights is Black Widow is a Marvel property and how they market it is different. Um, this was a movie that was supposed to come out for a, over a year. So there's all of that built up anticipation that's going on. It's got so much uh, so much fandom that's going into it. So you can't really take this on its own. I think if you were to do premiere access for a middle tier movie that uh, w- was going to maybe do well at the box office, um, this wouldn't be a, a smart choice because people aren't going to buy premiere access for something that they have no anticipation or no, no motivation to see. Um, so for the time being, I think this was a smart choice, but I don't think this means necessarily much moving forward. What do you think? Um, I tend to kind of think the same. Uh, it sounds like they're not going to do this again for any of the Marvel movies. Um, this was a one-off situation, but I think it does give us some data about um, how you can market some of these movies. That $30 price tag is uh, a pretty hefty price tag for something that you just watch on your screen at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that maybe for some of these bigger movies, it, it isn't necessarily a bad bet to do um, because it does, I think, allow you to maybe make that 30 extra dollars that you maybe wouldn't have made. Um, like if you, if you are a family of four, yeah, they lose that $10 from that family of four not going to the theater to see it. But on the flip side of that, that family of four may decide not to go to the theaters and they just might miss it altogether um, because of, you know, trying to get the kids uh, organized to make it to the theater on time. Uh, Once you go to the theater, most of the time you're going to end up buying concessions. And so it ends up being far more expensive. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you skip that altogether. Maybe you just can't afford that. Um, so for a movie like Black Widow or some of these top franchise movies, I'm not so sure that this is a bad, uh, a bad way to go about it. I mean, they still made $140,000, um, between the two entities, um, with 60,000 with, uh, uh, the, the at home and then, and then the 80,000. So, I mean, this, this was, in my opinion, a blockbuster success, uh, considering coming right out of the, uh, the, the pandemic. Um, I think that this shows that people are willing to go to the theaters for the right movie. Um, and just having that kind of a dip additional option, um, 
probably isn't going to cut into your top dollar as much as you think it might. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it will be interesting to see. I'm curious. I, part of me thinks an interesting way to go about it would maybe be a delayed premiere access, yep. uh, maybe after like a three week or four week period. Um, rather than letting the, the film kind of dwindle out in the theaters, maybe you still have that option, but you pull back how, cause I remember for like uh, the, the rise of Skywalker, the last star Wars movie, that movie was playing in theaters long in multiple theaters long after it was really getting a lot of box office love. The thing that I think there's going to be a big pushback on is uh, theaters are not going to like the idea of offering premiere access um, down the line because theaters, they, they end up making the majority of their money on a movie the longer it stays in the theater mm-hmm. because the studios take a smaller cut um, of, of the uh, initial dollars that, that you, you make, that every theater makes, the longer it stays in theaters. So mm-hmm. if a movie has a, say, month and a half runtime where it's still people are going to see it uh, six weeks after its initial release, then the theater's making a killing on that because they're getting the bigger piece of the pie. Um, So if you start competing with that, you may have theaters that have pushback because these are the sorts of movies that make theaters a ton of money beyond the money they're making at the concessions. Um, That's how they are making their, ultimately where they're able to stay open is by, by having these movies that can play six, eight, 10, you know, many, many weeks after the initial, the initial date. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that probably is the right business plan for a lot of these studios is having a theater release and then a certain amount of weeks later um, releasing it for a pretty hefty price. So you still have the opportunity to see it, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you got to pay a little bit more just to get a rental of it. Um, and then down the line, obviously, your your typical release that you would have for, for any rental. Yeah, it's I'm excited just to kind of see where things go. The, the pandemic made us have to question all of this. So. Yep. Uh, yes. Yes, it did. All right. When we get back from this break, we are going to be talking about Black Widow and giving our review of the film. Um, so stay right there. It still fits. Oh my god. I never washed it once. Come and drink. Rise, you workers of salvation. Family. Back together again. Mm. Seeing as her family construct was just a calculated ruse that only lasted three years, I don't think that we can use this this term anymore, can we? Agreed. So here's what's going to happen. Okay, reunion then, huh? And uh, I want to say something right off the bat. You haven't aged a day, huh? You're just as beautiful and as supple as the day they staged our marriage. You got fat. But still good.
and we are back. That was a clip you just heard from uh, Marvel's most recent release, Black Widow, uh, which opened this past weekend to, as we talked about in the previous segment, a huge box office draw. Um, it has broken the record for the post-pandemic uh, largest um, amount of money made in the opening weekend with 80 million at the box office and then the 60 million that was made on Disney Plus's uh, premiere access. Um, so Black Widow is a standalone film or a, a character film about uh, the, the character of Black Widow and it's sort of an origin story um, even though it, it fits a little bit into what we already know about this character in terms of the other movies that have been released. Um, but uh, at its essence, it, it really isn't kind of an origin story and uh, how this superhero came about um, and uh, kind of plays between two, two different points in time before a lot of the action that we have seen in previous movies and then after some of the action that we have seen, but still before uh, other films that, that are already part of this universe. Um, and uh, it did, you know, it was a kind of a, a unique take on, on the Marvel universe. Um, I'm not going to say too much more right now because I, I want to, uh, let you talk about it a little bit, Danny. But one thing I do want to kind of say about this review, which makes things sort of interesting, um, is that you and I, we share a lot of the same opinions when it comes to uh, film and the stuff that we like. Um, but this is an area where I think that you have a uh, stronger buy-in to some of these, these franchises and um, have invested more time in it and probably like a little bit better than myself. So I think this gives us a uh, really great opportunity to have a discussion about this film in this, this universe uh, that, that kind of gives us two different perspectives, kind of from coming from it, uh, coming at it from different ends. Um, so I'm interested to kind of know what you thought about, about this film. Well, I said earlier that I think this movie was really exciting because it was delayed for so long. Um, it was supposed to come out on April 24th, I think, of, 2000, of 2020. And um, I felt that anticipation going into the movie uh, that I, when I watched it last week. And uh, I felt like this, I, I got goosebumps watching the uh, the Marvel kind of intro that they do. And I know that's so corny. Um, I'm a big sucker for the, the whole Marvel cinematic universe. And I'm the type of person that's looking up like theories and things like that, just because I, I like to be part of these, these uh, fantasy worlds and kind of learn about them. I like the world building of all of it. Um, I, I think... Overall, I was I was pretty pleased with this movie. I think that it's got um, an, a take that I mean, a lot, I know that a lot of people who are not fans of Marvel kind of criticize Marvel as being kind of reiterations of the same thing over and over. And sure, yeah, that's that's true to some extent. But 
um, superhero movies are their own genre and they have differences between them. And I think this one is the Jason Bourne of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I think that the way that they um, captured that tone was really impressive. Caitlin Shortland or Kate Shortland, who directed this, um, did a good job of really leaning into that, especially I would say in the first half of the movie. Um, I thought that was where it really uh, was working for me. Um, One area that I felt that this actually, I I was a little bit disappointed in was I, I almost think that this would have been a better movie had it not had to make sense in a larger cinematic universe. They were having to do a lot to, uh, they were doing a lot of uh, gymnastics or sort of to get the, the story set up in a way for us to, to follow it as a Marvel fan. Whereas the, the average moviegoer didn't really need all of that setup to kind of figure out, okay, we're in a specific place in time here. Um, we have to make, make sure that the, the audience understands, you know, that, um, she is still running away from the government at this point. And it's like, ultimately that part of the story doesn't really matter to what we see in the movie. You know, the fact that she's running from the government and all of these things. Um, and so that to me held back this movie in some senses. And, uh, we'll talk about the ending. I'm sure a little bit, I don't want to give any spoilers. We'll talk about kind of just the direction it took. But uh, one thing that I'll say about the direction that this movie goes is um, I wanted more from the villain of this movie. I wanted more to see that character uh, more fully developed. And I wanted to hate this person more um, or, or at least feel that they see the wrongs that they'd done to justify everything. And I, I understood that this person was bad. They make that pretty clear, but I'd like to see that uh, in the performance more and how that plays out in, into the movie. Um, this is a fun one because these are, you know, at sort of real people, you know, they're not the gods and the super powered people um, that you see in other Marvel movies. So this does feel very grounded. And uh, one last thing before I, I say, uh, before I, I give it to you, um, this is the most grounded Marvel movie in that it officially makes Bill Clinton part of the MCU because he's part of the uh, opening uh, credits. And so I just, I got a kick out of him like, Whoa, Bill Clinton's in the MCU. This is crazy. I don't think that he's ever been in any clips before. That that's funny. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think the fact that it is grounded probably in more of a realistic uh, world um, gave me a greater appreciation for it. I don't particularly like the overly uh, kind of fantasy aspect of superhero movies. Um, And this just didn't really have that as much. Any of the supernatural aspect of it still felt normal enough that, uh, you know, you buy in as somebody who may not be, um, as invested in that sort of story. Um, and, and so I did like this movie. Um, I gave it a seven out of 10. Um, the, 
way that I kind of see the Marvel Cinematic Universe films um, is that uh, they kind of have this ceiling of about eight for me. I haven't had a, a single movie bypass that yet. Um, and, and so they kind of have this ceiling that I keep waiting for something to be able to kind of break through and connect with me on a greater level and give me something a little bit more. And there were times in this movie where it felt like it was going to do something very special, but then it holds back um, and it doesn't quite go there. Um, and and that that's kind of sad for me because like it has this it had this upward trajectory where I'm like, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. And like it's going in like where it continues to build. But then it seemed to kind of level off uh, when it gets to kind of that a certain point within the film and it just doesn't go any further and I kind of felt the same way about about this this movie that um you know it it starts to fall in line with a lot of the other movies that that are from the Marvel Marvel universe and I guess that shows some consistency um but uh it doesn't allow it to maybe stand apart from uh some of its predecessors and uh, it makes me believe that going forward these movies are going to continue to be exactly like this um now that is not to say that it doesn't have a lot of great um aspects and uh, i am didn't do my homework as well as i should have uh setting up for this week because um i meant to watch some more some more of the films that Marvel has put out and I just didn't get caught up with that. Um, eventually, eventually I will work through there maybe sometime next year when we are in maybe a, a down um, area, I will go through and basically give a ranking of all of the Marvel uh, movies that have come out to this point and some of the series as well. Um, but the opening for this film, the opening sequence is probably my favorite opening sequence of any Marvel movie that I have seen today. I thought the way that this movie opens in kind of building uh, suspense and trying to kind of ground yourself in where it is going and the story that it is going to tell, um, I, I thought it was perfect. Up to the, side, the title suite sequence, which they did some really interesting things with the title sequence in the way that it was edited and bringing Bill Clinton in. No, but uh, yeah, no, it, it, the, the title sequence was felt more James Bond-like than mm -hmm. uh, a Marvel movie. And it was very stylized. And uh, I appreciated that creative choice. And it really set a foundation for this movie that had me bought in and um, and really excited to see where this this movie went from that point forward. Did you have anything to say about that that title sequence before we continue to move forward? Well, the it, you're right that it sets the tone for the whole movie, and I would say it, it's it's hard to say this, but the first half of the the movie, I would say has almost better character development than most of the other Marvel movies I've seen. My issue comes when I felt like, like you said, it plateaus at a certain point, and then it, it is less interested in allowing us to see those characters continue to grow. 
in a way. Um, so yeah, that, that opening sequence, the dynamics between the family and really allowing you, I mean, eventually they do do some work to kind of give you the exposition of it, but you're really just kind of watching to see what is going on with this family. And you're kind of curious what exactly is going on here. Um, and I think that that, that curiosity is really good there and they play into that a lot and make that opening sequence exciting. Um, I think kind of building on that and you set us up for this, um, really talking about this family and, um, part of why this works is because you have a fantastic cast in those um, main roles there. Um, Florence Pugh is my favorite part of this film. I thought she was fantastic. Um, she's, she's a great actress, and uh, she even brought some good comic relief at times and delivered on that really, really well. Um, David Harbour is fantastic in this. This is like the perfect role for him where he gets to kind of um, ride this line between being kind of a, a serious character and a complete doofus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so it, it was a very interesting role. Um, Scarlett Johansson just plays the, the role as she kind of should. And then it was nice having Rachel Weisz in there as well, um, who's also a very great actress. Uh, and and it, it's an interesting um, concept for a movie like this because it's really at the core is about this family and uh, they do some interesting things. I don't want to give away too much in terms of the story that goes along with this as to not ruin it for folks, but um, it, it has some interesting things to say about that. Um, but I think a lot of that is because they have a really good cast um, that, that made me really buy into what was happening um, mm-hmm. in these moments. Um, I wish that we could have seen this family go and do some other event- adventure in some ways because th- I liked their dynamic so much. Um, I was fine w- with the story that we saw and there's actually a part of the story that is really interesting uh, just in a reflection of, of our current world but um, I kind of wanted to have it be less conceptual and get more into the, the building the character of that moment and um, one thing that I think is my biggest critique of this movie, and I forgot to mention initially that I also gave this a seven out of 10. Um, I agree with you that I probably don't go in, I don't have any movies in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe that are higher than an eight. Um, but the, the thing that bothers me about this movie is that it was clear that they felt that they needed to give Black Widow her due as a character make a movie for her. And uh, in that sense, yes, we got some cool character development, but in terms of like the overall story that she faced, I don't know that it was justified or that we needed to see this story. Um, I, I liked a lot about this movie, but it, it felt like it was just kind of there to give Black Widow her due and give Scarlett Johansson her due. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And I think, honestly, its weakest uh, part is just the writing is not super inspiring in terms of um, the story it's trying to tell. Um, and it could have been a lot more. Like, there could have 
there are points where they could have um, really gotten more buy-in from the audience for the story. And I think that's what I was waiting for because it felt like it was building up to that. And then it just kind of fizzles out a little bit and they could have done some really cool things. Um, and I think part of it is also, as you were saying previously, that the villain isn't that good. <laughs> um, it's there, there's not the, there, there just isn't a, like, I don't care. There, there, there isn't this, this feeling of, uh, you feel something strong toward this person, um, as as the, is the case in some of the other the other uh, Marvel movies. I think that some of my favorites are because there are really good villains, and uh, and for whatever reason, I bought in a little bit more. And I think they could have done more here, uh, maybe just showing. Uh, more of what the villain is doing or maybe have some other interactions uh, that the villain has with other characters that really show just how bad this villain is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get the sense that this person is really bad and um, it kind of has a little bit of a almost ha handmaid's tale feel to it um, just in the way that uh, he uses women, not in the same way that the handmaid's tale does, but um, just the society where uh, these young women are being used um, for his own gain. Well, and part of the problem with this movie is that if you are writing a story that is basically where there's a villain that is predominantly using women, and we won't get any more specific than that just to avoid spoilers, right? they can't then dive deeper into him as a character to give him some sort of you know, reason for why he's doing what he's doing. Because if you start to justify the actions, because a lot of times a really good villain is one that we can empathize with. They deliberately don't want you to empathize with him because then that would undermine our ability to see him as being this purely evil guy. But then that also cheapens the story a little bit because um, it's not interesting when there's villains that are just pure evil. Um, there is another, there, there's a couple villains in this movie and to some degree they do um, kind of dive deeper into that. But that was part of the story that I wanted to see more of. And I think we both, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yep. I don't to to say any more than that, but um, I just think that uh, this is probably a, a middle tier Marvel movie, middle to low tier Marvel movie for me. Um, it's, not in my top 10 uh, by any means, uh, but I still enjoyed it. I think that it's an enjoyable movie. It's got uh, some pretty compelling action sequences that I think a lot of Marvel fans will really like. That grounded kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat type um, fighting that people like. And um, I think that they, they also, honestly, when you think of movies that have cool action set pieces. I thought this had a lot of cool set pieces that were um, explored and um, made the movie kind of more fun. Um, kind of, and I think this is maybe a good segue as we finish up this conversation here, unless there was anything else you really wanted to say. Um, but you say that this is probably more of a middle to lower tier movie. Uh, there's a significant amount of movies that I still have to see um, in terms of being able to give a full picture of this. 
but uh, this is probably in the top half of movies that I have seen. Um, and uh, I, it sounds like maybe I liked it better, but granted, like I said, um, that could all change once I have completely caught up with everything and uh, feel as though um, I have a, be- a bigger picture of the entire universe and uh, may- this may not, may not be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing I think I want to say before we close this up too. Um, the visual effects in this, I'm always concerned about visual effects when it comes to these types of movies. And the visual effects were all right in this. Um, I never, there was never like that cringe worthy moment where I was like, Ugh, that did not look good at all. Uh, for how many pretty big action sequences there were, um, the CGI looked overly, I mean, it looked fairly normal in terms of, uh, the way that it's represented. And, um, and so I, I would imagine this is a movie that when we come to award season is probably going to get nominated in some of the technical categories, um, whether that's visual effects or uh, in, in sound. Mm-hmm. I, I think that this, again, wasn't, there was nothing too glaring and no, no standouts to me in terms of visual effects. Um, there were maybe a couple sequences that it was to me felt notably green screen to me and um, maybe just didn't feel as clean as, as I think some of the other Marvel movies have shown that they can be. Um, so that, that, that's just kind of where I stand in terms, and, and it's hard to not compare it to other Marvel movies uh, and say like, oh, I, I think this has, but I think because this is so grounded, you have to make it look that much more real. You know what I mean? Um, right. If you are, have a movie that's mostly set in space, you have a lot more freedom to make things look like yeah, they, don't, looking. they don't follow the laws of physics. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, right. right. Or, or just that they, they, yeah, they don't look as real. So, um, yeah. Uh, Overall, though, um, I liked it. Uh, I think if you're a fan of these types of movies, you're going to like it. Um, Maybe it isn't your top favorite movie in the universe, but uh, it is enjoyable and it is worth going to the theaters to see. If you haven't made it to the theaters yet and this is the type of movie that you like, go see it. Um, It's a good one to to come back to the theaters to see. All right, when we come back from this break, we are going to be counting down our top five favorite uh, movies from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Stick right there. And we are back and we are going to be looking at our top five favorite movies in the MCU. There have been 24 movies to date that have been released and there's a bunch more that are going to be out probably in the next three years anyway. So our favorites could change by then and totally be different in the future. But that's kind of the fun of these cinematic universes is that there's there's more and 
um, new directors, new, new storytellers as part of that. Rob kind of talked about um, some of the movies that he, so he's, he's not as caught up with some of these movies, but um, I'm excited to hear your list. Um, do you want to start us off with your first or your number five pick for top five? I will. Um, so something I'm, I'm going to preface this uh, with is that I did not include any of the full Avengers movies in my top five. Um, I'm not a huge fan of those movies compared to a lot of other folks. Um, they just don't have the coherence that some of the other ones do um, because there's just so much that's going on. And I, I am such a character driven um, movie watcher that if I can't really get into a character in a movie and specifically kind of this uh, for a superhero movie to have a strong villain character um, versus kind of the main hero, then it's hard for me to really get into it. Um, so the majority of my movies here are kind of are based off of that idea um, and why I like these films um, are, are because there is a clear hero and um, in most cases, a pretty solid villain um, that kind of holds their own within the, within the film. So my number five film is Captain America, The First Avenger. And um, I, I just love this film because I think I appreciate the way that it fits nicely into kind of a historical, uh, a historical context. And um, even though obviously much of it is fabricated uh it to me this movie i'm a bigger fan of kind of the uh the dc universe simply because it feels more grounded in realism and it really tries to um interact with the things that are happening around the world or that have happened in a historical context and so for me captain america the first avenger does this very well um and it it just has a a really good tone and feel to it uh that basically from the the opening of that that movie the whole way through you you really kind of kind of buy into the world that they have developed um for this film and you know it's Probably actually, I've liked this movie better than the majority of folks, um, but I think Chris Evans is really great as Captain America. And out of all of the different Avengers, um, Captain America probably is one of my favorites. And, uh, and much of that is because he's very charismatic in this role. Um, I think Hugo Weaving in this movie is a really good villain. Um, you have a pretty solid uh, female character in the Peggy Carter character, um, kind of as a balance. And then Sebastian Stan is fantastic as Bucky um, and kind of adding that extra element that, that kind of balances out um, Chris Evans' Captain America. So uh, that is why it is my number five, five film. Do um, you have anything to say about Captain America? Um I think it's interesting because I'm a huge fan of any origin movies um, in the whole series. Um, and 
I feel like at right now the film industry is pretty tired of origin stories because they've been done so many times. And it's like, we don't need to be reintroduced to a character we already get have an understanding of. Um, but for Captain America, there really wasn't a movie at the time uh, or any pre major previous knowledge outside of the comic books. There was maybe a TV series in the 90s or maybe a, a, a low budget movie that had come out about Captain America, but nothing big. And so this is an origin story that I really like. And you talk about Chris Evans in this movie. I think Chris Evans is particularly good as him before he becomes the muscled up Captain America. And when you talk about uh, visual effects, I think they do really good visual effects yeah. with Chris Evans as the scrawny uh, uh, Steve Rogers in this movie. I think that that part of it is what sells the part of him becoming the hero because in the whole, I mean, his whole, you know, point as a character is he is who he is because of who he is on the inside. It's not what, uh, the, it's not his power that makes him special. It's makes, it's his, his courage. And that's totally the epitome of that is this is the sequence in the uh, training base where uh, Tommy Lee Jones character throws the uh, live grenade. It's a fake grenade. And uh, Steve Rogers jumps on it, willing to sacrifice himself, not knowing that it's, uh, it's just a dummy grenade and all the other soldiers scatter. I mean, and that's the whole point of that moment, but that's just really good character-driven storytelling, I think, and allowing us to see, oh yeah, this, this, there's a reason this guy is the one they pick. Um, and so uh, I, I actually, I'm, I'm looking at mine. I have one origin story on here um, all of the other ones are non-origin stories, but I, I'm a big sucker for ones where we can see the growth of a character move from the person before they're a hero to when they become a hero. And that's a great, that's probably one of my favorite origins of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, um, my number five pick is uh, Black Panther. And uh, a huge reason why I think Black Panther is a really special movie is not only does it have a fantastic cast? Not only is it really visually impressive and they built, have a lot of lore to it, but it probably has one of the best villains in the uh, MCU. And um, Michael B. Jordan's character, he plays uh, a character called Killmonger. And you feel more so with this character than any other character that they are somewhat justified or that you understand their reason for doing what they do and that makes it so interesting from a storytelling perspective i will also say that black panther tackles uh conversations that uh the marvel cinematic universe had never really gone to before and that makes it uh to me a standout movie it's the first and i think the only um mcu movie to be nominated for best picture correct I think that is correct. I don't think, yeah, I don't think any of the uh, Avengers movies had. They talked about Endgame being potential, but they didn't yeah. end up going. So yeah, it's the only one. And a huge part of that has to do with, you know, we're seeing, first of all, uh, a group of people that are off, had rarely been represented on that level, on that scale, 
on the big screen before. And um, that aside, you could talk about representation all day. This is still just a good movie at its core. You know what I mean? And so uh, a lot of people, I think, that are, are critical of that and um, have issues with that. It's, it's not ultimately about the storytelling. And so I think that that's, that's what makes this a great movie. Um, that's actually my number four movie. So this is a nice transition here. I have Black Panther as number four. Um, and a lot of that is because of a really great contrast between your hero and your villain. And, um, and both are fantastic actors. It's terrible that we don't get to see Chadwick Boseman play this character ever again. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, I think maybe probably puts an even um, greater stamp of, of legacy on this film is because of the fact that we no longer have Chadwick Boseman. Um, but yes, from a cultural standpoint, this did something that none of the other films had, had done, um, have done up to this point. And it's going to be interesting to see if we see more of this going forward. Um, Ryan Coogler is probably the best director that the uh, universe has uh, I don't think you can make an argument for maybe some of the other, a few of the other directors in here, but Ryan Coogler is a special director that makes really great films and um, is worthy of kind of this award baity type type uh, cinema. So um, I think that makes this, this movie very unique. Yes. It has a great cast of characters. Um, the, contrast between the real world and this world that they created for Wakanda, even though it's very CGI, um, it's beautiful. Like the way it looks is just super imaginative. And, uh, and like that's, to me, that's how you bring CGI to life. And you can forgive the fact that it doesn't look overly real at times, um, simply because uh, there was so much thought put into the way that this this Wakanda uh, world is going to what what it's going to look like. Um, I I am interested to see kind of what the follow up to this film is going to be. Uh, they obviously had to change things in order to um, to make it all work. But uh, yes, Black Panther is definitely um, up there, even if. I would maybe make an argument that overall the story isn't maybe as entertaining as some of the other films within the, the cinema universe. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree with that. And, and I would say the next three or next, next four picks are sorry for me um, are all movies that I, I can appreciate from a creative standpoint, but then also they just happen to be more entertaining to me and that's why I picked them. So my, number four pick is uh guardians of the galaxy and this is my only origin story movie this is a movie that i didn't really like that much the first time i saw it um and that i think after i was kind of got more into the marvel cinematic universe and really enjoyed these stories the thing that i liked so much about this movie is that it didn't it wasn't affected by any other part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It kind of it can stand on its own and doesn't play into anything else. Sure, on a bigger scale, there's going to be connections later on and they found ways to kind of 
weave their story into other stories. But this has been, this was so fun because I like movies where the, the storytelling has total creative license to kind of go as far as they can in any direction that they want. And James Gunn definitely does that with this movie. Um, it's got a, a really fun cast. I think it's a, it's uh, a funny movie. Um, he, although sometimes it's kind of an immature movie at times. I, I like Chris Pat Pratt as a, a comedic kind of leading man. And part of the reason why he, it works so well for him is that he, he's good at being the kind of, he's, he's kind of David, David Harbour-esque in that he, you can take him seriously as the hero, but he's also a total idiot sometimes. And that's what makes him enjoyable to watch. I'm also a huge Parks and Rec fan and I love his character in Parks and Rec. And so I, I like kind of seeing, this is really who he became after the whole Parks and Rec uh, portion of his life and uh, this is kind of the first iteration of that maybe Jurassic World was maybe his first big movie before he became uh, a star but uh, I think this movie is really creative I, I think that um, it was one that I was excited that they were going to make more of because I was like oh sweet there's there's a story in the MCU that is totally insular and it feels like it's its own kind of comic book strip that has nothing to do with the rest I love that part um, I'm not going to say too much on this because it's on my list, but it is not next. Um, okay. So I will, uh, I will wait and, and um, leave my comments for when it pops up on my list here. Yeah, cool. um, so on number three, I have the original Iron Man, um, which kind of started everything off um, and set a precedent for um, the way in which this universe was going to be built. Um, and it was such a contrast to the, um, kind of way that we saw superhero movies, uh, especially surrounding this, it was this time period that we were getting the Batman movies from Christopher Nolan. And, um, it, it really kind of set a contrast for the directions that, that we were going to start taking, um, with, with the superhero movie and showing that you can make a really high quality um, superhero movie that can be seen as legit with really great actors involved um, that John Favreau is a pretty damn good director. And, um, and he, he just kind of hit the right, the right spot for, for this film. Um, casting Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark is probably one of the greatest casting decisions of any superhero movie ever um, because he was perfect for this role. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just buy into the movie simply because of Robert Downey Jr. And then you surround him with really good actors that uh, play some of these supporting roles. Um, and, and then I, I think Jeff Bridges is a great bad guy uh, as Obadiah. And, uh, and so you, you really had for this very first Marvel um, movie within this universe, uh, a, a nice showdown to begin things off between two very, very, very great actors um, who both played their part. Uh, fantastic. Um, and so that's the reason why I have Iron Man here at number three on my list. So this is probably my 
number six or seven favorite MCU movie. And I just remember feeling so uh, like, oh my gosh, this is a totally different hero than we've ever seen when I first saw it in theater. And like, when you think about previous superheroes, a lot of them are guys that have superpowers that are wearing a cape of some sort. This is a guy that does not have a superpower, um, but he is in a full armored suit, which is totally different than we'd, what we'd, we'd seen. And I think something that when I saw it as a kid that I took for granted about this story is that this is a, a movie that is directly a result of our uh, involvement in the Middle East from a military standpoint. Yes. And th that aspect of the movie, seeing it with a, f a better understanding of that as an adult, I think is uh, makes this movie more interesting and makes Obadiah Stane as a villain more interesting because he is representative of those uh people who profit from war and so is tony stark but tony stark is also to some degree you, you they play it off as him being kind of ignorant or maybe willfully ignorant of the role that he's playing the real role that he's playing whereas obadiah stain is despite his knowledge of that is almost driven by that power to you know wreak havoc on people's lives in the middle east so and I think that's probably part of the appeal for me is that it does have that kind of grounded in um, consequences of society and what we do as, as a world. Um, and Iron Man more than maybe any other, uh, any other superhero within this universe is most closely related to Batman um, mm -hmm. in terms of kind of uh, his abilities and how wealth plays a huge re uh, a, a huge role in why he's able to do what he's able to do. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Batman's my favorite superhero. And so uh, I think that kind of that, that connection a little bit um, appeals to me and why I love the Iron Man movies. I even like the sequels quite a bit. Um, I really like the second movie because uh, I think Mickey Rourke is a great bad guy. Um, it's not probably as well written as the initial movie. Um, but I, I, I just really enjoy the Iron Man movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting that you make the comparison with Batman because he's honestly the most similar to Batman, but it's they're, they're the most different in terms of their personalities. Yep. And like uh, Batman's like the noble version of Tony Stark, the one that doesn't do it for himself. You know what I mean? And Tony Stark is he's he's selfless in some ways, but he's also also the most self-centered person in yep. all of the MCU too. And so that's what's at the core of his his story always is in 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 every part of the MCU that you see him in, he's constantly being challenged in terms of looking beyond himself, and that's what makes him a, a cool cool hero for this story and one that's different than than we'd seen a lot we'd seen a lot of those noble superheroes before and um that that makes him uh special uh my number three pick is one that the first time i saw it i wasn't a huge fan of it but i it grew on me and a part of a huge part of that is just because of how much i love this character and that's spider-man far from home and that's the sequel to homecoming um I like, for one thing, uh, the way that we see his character kind of grappling with 
the role that he's going to play in this world after his kind of mentor, Tony Stark is not here any longer. And the, the thing that I think um, makes this movie is that dynamic between um, Peter Parker and uh, the villain played by Jake Gyllenhaal, Quentin Beck. And I think that that makes this an interesting movie. I like Jake Gyllenhaal as an actor. He's probably one of my favorite actors. And uh, I think that he does something in this movie that's, that is uh, interesting. And even though it's wacky, that's what kind of makes it fun. Um, I think that this is a movie that maybe is less appealing to people that aren't entrenched in the MCU because it is so like the, the setting of the story is so reliant on the knowledge of previous events in the MCU. And so I think that that is a potential issue with the movie, but regardless of that, I still really think this is a fun movie. And uh, I'm also, it's a huge part of this is just because Spider-Man is just a really fun character for me. And I have a lot of nostalgia with the character from the Tobey Maguire movies. And then I really like the Andrew Garfield iteration. And so this is, uh, this was a fun one. Um, I, I admittedly have not seen this film yet, so uh, I don't have very much to say about it. Um, other than the fact that yeah, Spider-Man is one of my favorites. And so, um, yeah, I, I presume that I will probably like this movie. Um, I just got, I just have to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So that leads to my number two, which is guardians of the galaxy. Uh, I really love this film simply because it was very original in, in terms of a story that we hadn't heard yet. Um, unless you are, just very, very engrossed in all of this universe. Uh, this is not a common story. And it, it kind of sets itself apart from the other films that are on my list because it is more of a team type movie, but there is a clear hero. And um, Chris Pratt is just so likable um, as this character. And I think that you, you were right in saying that he kind of rides this line between being the, the serious hero and kind of, kind of just a goofball. And it feels like this is sort of like the crossover movie that he had where he went from being just the complete idiot, uh, character to being, recognized as being a hero and now he's being seen as the hero and doesn't get to play what I think is his strength which is uh not taking everything seriously and so honestly this is probably peak Chris Pratt right here in terms of uh the best that you're gonna get from him without him maybe doing the same thing over and over and over again. The soundtrack for this film plays a huge role in why I love Guardians of the Galaxy, because it just set an entirely different tone for the universe than any of the other films had. Um, And a lot of that is because of the soundtrack and the way that James Gunn uses the soundtrack with this character of uh, Peter Quill to be able to uh, kind of make the music interact with what's happening within the story. Um, and so out of maybe any superhero movie, this has to be a 
top five soundtrack in superhero movies, if not the best ever, um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of using previous songs or songs that are, are popular type songs. Um, and it, I, I just think that it sets the tone and this movie just has a, a, a really great feel. Um, I'm not as big of a fan of space type movies like this. Like I, I enjoy them, but I don't like them maybe more than um, most, most people that like type, sci-fi type movies. Uh, but uh, for this movie, it, it, it just works. And mm-hmm. then you add in a, a series of side characters um, having uh, some of the voice acting of like Brad Bradley Cooper. Obviously, Vin Diesel doesn't really matter because he didn't have to do much. Um, but Zoe Zaldana is great. Um, Dave Batista, this is the sort of role that Dave Batista should have. He shouldn't be your star like an army of army of the dead but uh yeah in general i i really really liked this movie um and a lot of it is just because james gunn set a fantastic tone um and this is the sort of movie that makes me think that um his suicide squad movie may be actually not too bad that's coming out here um for a you know the dc movies are a bit all over the place and they just haven't been that good um, but because James Gunn did such a great job with this movie that uh, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see what he does with some some other kind of interesting superhero stories. One thing that's needs to be said about James Gunn is that he's a really good storyteller in a, in a world that is completely not like our own. Um, and he makes he makes all of the characters feel pretty human, mm-hmm. given the fact that they're not of this earth even peter quill even though he's human there's parts of him that are very human but then just his life out in space and all that i mean like i just think that that's a that's a real um strong aspect of his filmmaking one thing that i think is really interesting that i wanted to note is for the the dave batista character in this movie they originally wanted chad mcbo chadwick boseman for that role really yeah, and so Chadwick Boseman auditioned for that, and da- and James Gunn said, "No, I want Dave Batista," and no one wanted Dave Batista because he was a wrestler or like you know wasn't. Oh. And so James Gunn is singularly responsible, I think, for Dave Batista having a career. And uh, I mean, of the the wrestlers turned actors, I think Dave Batista is probably one of the better better ones out there now I'm, I'm curious to see what John Cena's like in this peacemaker in Suicide Squad because he's also in a TV show that could be different Dwayne Johnson kind of always does the same thing but um, I did think the fact that Chadwick Boseman was going to be in that that w- would have been waste a waste of Chadwick Boseman if oh, he was in that. it so, totally would have and he probably would have never gone on to be Black Panther then yeah um, which which would have been terrible so yeah, um, yeah that's that is very interesting. Um, one more thing I'll say before I'll let you uh, announce your second movie here um, is that this movie feels like a true adventure film, um, whereas some some of the other superhero movies, they don't have that adventure feel as much. It feels more like an action movie. And this movie just has a very adventure feel to it. Um, and, and it makes it more fun because of that. Uh, it doesn't have to be as grounded in realism um and 
I, I think that that really appeals to me. Um, I, I just remember leaving this movie uh, that this this was a movie that really impressed me, and um, and so that is why it is my number two overall movie. Nice, I like it. Um, my number two pick is Spider-Man: Homecoming. So Spider-Man made my third and my second spot on my list. I love this character. I think that this is one that I, I have a good memory of seeing in the theater too. I saw it with you and Mike in the theater, I believe. And um, I think that this is maybe one of my, it, it, it's one of the funnier Spider or MCU movies, I think just be, for whatever reason, it, it, I, the humor of it, the awkward teenage moviness of it I thought was great um I also think that uh this has maybe another top villain um it's either this or Killmonger for me and uh the performance that we get from Michael Keaton in this is great his character maybe is a little bit less justified in what they do they still have a strong reason you still can kind of understand why they're doing what they're doing but at the same time, I think his the way he performs that villainous aspect of the character is so good. And the best scene is is him picking up uh, or driving Peter and his daughter to the homecoming dance. And the way that they shine the green stoplight on his face as he's kind of interrogating Peter Parker through the review mirror. I think that the, that scene is filmed really well too. And just how it builds the tension, the performances are good. Tom Holland's just kind of his, his I like this version of Peter Parker because he has not come into his full, you know, superhero self yet. He's basically just a low level kind of hero that will save you if your 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 purse is being stolen or something like that and that's what makes him special and something that i noticed uh, in a commentary i saw on youtube about this movie that i think is really interesting it's so telling about where the character is in terms of their development is uh there's a sequence in this where spider-man is having to go up on the washington monument to save people that are falling and he is so afraid of how tall the Washington Monument is. He's freaked out by how, how, how high he is. And this is the first iteration we're seeing of Spider-Man after we've seen Spider-Man flipping through New York on top of tall buildings and diving from tall buildings. And it just shows you that he's just a kid, you know? And I think that that is a version of Spider-Man that we get to see it. And I'm glad we get to see it because it really grounds him as a superhero. Um, and as much as you can ground a superhero, I think that this does a, a really good job of it. Um, well, Spider-Man Homecoming is my number one movie. Uh, this was the movie that was I was the closest to getting a nine. Um, and I think that it is just a really special movie because it is a unique take on the superhero genre. Um, the way it is filmed is interesting. Uh, just the narrative aspect of, of this film is very different than anything else that the universe had up to this point. And um, I love Spider-Man too. Spider-Man is one of my favorite uh, superheroes. And I will admit that I loved all three uh, of the more recent renditions of Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland. I think they all bring something unique 
to the role of Spider-Man and kind of give us a different feel. Um, and I, I agree with you that this this Tom Holland Spider-Man in this movie is so grounded in this character being a real person. Um, and I think that that raises the stakes a little bit more for what he is doing, more so than either of the previous Spider-Mans. Um, this it feels legitimately like a high school kid um, who is doing something that is so beyond anything that a high school kid should be doing. Um, and uh, Tom Holland does an excellent job uh, with that. Um, Michael Keaton's character is the best villain, in my opinion, uh, that they have um, had in this universe. And a lot of that's just because Michael Keaton is a fantastic actor. Um, the reveal is probably my favorite part of this movie uh, as well, just because it it legitimately was shocking to me, and um, and it just it, it brings the story together so well, and it creates a a conflict that wasn't forced; it was very natural. Um, and now all of a sudden, you're that much more bought into what is happening in the story because you have. Uh, just this tangled mess that he then has to kind of balance his own personal um, feelings about his life and what's going on with the responsibility of doing what he feels he has to do as, as Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. um, I love that Marissa Tomei plays uh, his aunt. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a, a good, really good casting um, and kind of, bringing things maybe a little bit younger um, and making her a little bit more um, of a real person. Cause I feel like kind of Aunt May up to in the other uh, films maybe doesn't have quite the, uh, I don't know, just a, maybe not as personable, like in terms of this is a full, person or character um and i think they do a really nice job in this this film um in, in that way and then they do a nice job of tying it into the universe in general like i it didn't feel like it was too forced because um really this character of spider-man needs uh some of these other superheroes in order to have success he can't do it on his own because he's so young and he's out of his element so um yes i i absolutely love spider-man homecoming which is even more so why i need to see the sequels um and uh, i will eventually get to it um but yes spider-man homecoming is my number one one thing that i'll say real quick about that before i give to my number one pick is i think something that uh the MCU does that is is I think a interesting that DC never did was they do not they're not afraid of like the the character's identity being revealed in some way um, and so like for instance in this movie like the villains recognizing his identity is something that other Spider-Man movies have done to some degree or other but it doesn't seem like it plays as big of a role but for instance um in the first mcu movie iron man the major difference between him and batman is that he wants to be known as iron man 
everybody you know, knows. Everybody knows. And so the that is the thing that makes all of these heroes somewhat interesting is that their identity is that much harder to separate from the hero because they are the hero. You know what I mean? They're not, they're, they don't get to pretend to be Bruce Wayne. They don't get to pretend to be Clark Kent. They are the hero. That is who they are. Um, and so that makes, uh, for me at least, that that seems like it it creates another tension within these characters because they're, they have to be that one thing. Um, so I think that that makes this, um, this whole cinematic universe really special. My number one pick um, and a huge reason why I love this movie so much has to do with the director is Thor Ragnarok. And this is uh, by Taiki, Taika Waititi. And I think to just preface why this movie is so good to me is that Taika Waititi took a, a hero in the MCU that a lot of people kind of thought was stale, was kind of one dimensional, didn't just didn't seem super um, exciting. A lot of people liked the concept of the hero, but they had this one preconceived notion of Thor as a character and he was just so unexciting and that's in the sense that he was not going to do things that were very dynamic or interesting. Taika Waititi turned that on its head. He made Thor a really dynamic and interesting character and he made the world that Thor lives in more dynamic and interesting. I think that um, the tone that the MCU has gone in is a direct result of directors like James Gunn, like uh, Taika Waititi. I think those two have such a have had such an impact on where we can go with this this world, and it's a there's a good reason why they we get directors that have these creative visions after they've established their movies as like a. Um, a success like Iron Man kind of had to play it straight. Captain America kind of had to play it straight. But after we kind of got that success, allows Taika Waititi to be as creative as he can possibly be and really shoot for the stars. This movie is so funny. It's definitely the funniest uh, Marvel movie in my opinion. Um, Taika Waititi is uh, a small role in this and it's just has his perfect touch in there. Uh, we have a great character in the grand master played by oh his name's escaping me um but that role is super great as well um and i think more than anything they make the character of thor um grow and change and they present him with new challenges that he didn't necessarily face um and so that's what makes it a an interesting movie for me um, I know at least maybe I'm wrong, but you have not seen this movie yet, Rob. I have not. I was planning on watching it on Saturday before we recorded and due to the power outage, it didn't happen. Um, so this is my, this is my number one priority of a movie to see from this universe that I haven't seen yet. Uh, and I am very much looking forward to it. Um, because of all the people involved. And uh, I, I fully anticipate that this is going to probably be one of my favorite movies. And it's, and, and just from, I would say the, the storytelling isn't like that much better than other Marvel movies. I would say 
the thing that makes this special is just is so fun to watch. And it, it, to me, just is really special. The actor, I couldn't think of his name off the top of my head, but Jeff Goldblum is the grandmaster in this. And he's, he's just hilarious. But um, I know that uh, Marvel kind of has a uh, sort of, in, in some ways, they're the most popular thing, but because they're the most popular thing, they're also a controversy in terms of discussions of film and everything. And you have people like Martin Scorsese that say that, say that Marvel movies aren't real cinema. Um, I think directors like Taika Waititi um, and James Gunn and Chloe Zhao, who's coming out with Eternals this year and um, Destin, Daniel Destin, or what's his name? Who's making Shang-Chi, Daniel Dustin, something or other, I can't think of his full name, but um, he, the, all of those directors challenge that idea that, that Marvel isn't real cinema. And so uh, I, Daniel there we go. Um, I, I am excited to see kind of where these directors continue to take these, these movies in the future. I understand that uh, we're going to probably reach a point if we haven't already reached that point where people are really exhausted of these movies, but um, as long as they keep making money, they'll keep making these, these movies. And uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed them all along the way. I, I think that uh, we are at a point where um, they are recognizing that they need to do some things that are a little different. And so they are bringing in these unique directors that, are fairly critically acclaimed directors and uh, letting them kind of put their own spin on what a superhero movie might look like. Um, the thing that I think I am most interested in is that they are really trying to tell some stories that we haven't heard yet. And a lot of the movies that are going to be coming out over the next you know, three to five years. Uh, we're getting some new stories in there that uh, have some different cultural perspectives. Um, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see kind of where things go. Um, I, as a film watcher, I've been thinking about this more lately that I am clearly biased in the type of films that I like. Um, I generally tend to really enjoy um, simply drama films. Like if a film is a drama, that it automatically has a better shot at impressing me than, say, an action superhero type movie, um, just by its nature. Uh, and I, I think that there are probably something that I hope to... Uh, as as a as a critic of of film and cinema to maybe try to unpack is some more of these genre uh, like looking into some of these genres and really focusing on the best of that genre mm -hmm. um, and maybe not worrying so much about how it fits into the uh, rest of the cinema scope um, because I think that. Each of these genres have uh, things that make them unique from other genres and make them more enjoyable um, and show different parts of uh, the craft of filmmaking that 
that say a drama cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've been doing some brainstorming and I think that over the course of probably the next few months, I'm going to be looking to maybe do something in addition to what we're doing here to really focus more on a certain genre over a period of time and trying to really unpack the best that those genres have. So down the line, maybe we, we do a, a superhero genre period of time where we want to take a look at more superhero movies or more action movies or more sci-fi movies um, and uh, really, really kind of unpack what makes a movie great within that genre um and trying to find the best that these genres have Um, Uh so i i do think it's interesting to to have these lists when we get to focus specifically on say the marvel universe Uh um and kind of keeping it confined within there um and not letting us break rules because i think when we open things up like uh to a genre like thriller um that really opens things up to our interpretation of what constitutes being right. a thriller. And we tend to uh, really uh, pick movies that fit more within the wheelhouse of what we like. And it doesn't challenge us, challenge us as uh, movie watchers to see things through a different lens. And, right. um, and so even though I may not enjoy these movies quite as much as you do, and maybe I do. It, like it, it just, I have a different expectation of what um, going into these movies uh, is like, uh, but it, it challenges me to look at them for um, what they are and kind of pulling out some strengths and uh, weaknesses in a little bit different way than I would if I were to sit down and watch the most Oscar Beatty movie of all time. Yeah. And uh, I think the the last thing I'll say about MCU stuff is that I, I, I am drawn in by the world building of it. Um, it's something that I liked about Game of Thrones, something I like about Star Wars. I like about most fantasy stories is that you get to see how this world is bigger than just the movie itself. Now there's a lot of movies that, you know, it's like, we don't really need this movie, but it's pretty cool that we get to see (laughs) this story play out um, outside of uh, what we had expected from just one one first Iron Man movie. I mean, thinking about how that world has grown since then. Yeah. Um, And I think that that is something that's uh, unique. And I, I, I believe that I, I appreciate the world building. Um, a, I often, though, am disappointed with sometimes the output. Um, and I think, as a whole, my greatest critique of the Marvel Universe and what they have put out to this point is that they, they don't always develop characters as well as they could. Um, and make me empathize with them in a way that makes me care um, enough to continue to want to see what what moves forward. And that's not the case across the board. I think that they've done some uh, pretty good character development in certain films. But um, that, I think, is where I could appreciate the world building if I cared more about the characters that are within that world. And... um, 
And so I think maybe that's where I have a little bit of a disconnect between uh, loving this and just seeing it kind of for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we will certainly be revisiting our talk on Marvel movies as uh, we continue to move forward because every year there are multiple Marvel movies that come out um, and it's impossible for me to sit here and watch any of these movies without bringing this into the conversation a little bit. So this fall, we certainly will... um, be revisiting this. I think there's three more Marvel movies that are coming out before the end of the year. And, um, and so, yeah, we're certainly going to talk about it again. Um, next week, or I guess this week, uh, now that we have put on delay, uh, this show, but this upcoming week we have space jam and uh, Space Jam New Legacy, and we are going to be talking about that film, and then we are going to be counting down our favorite uh, sports movies uh, as we are headed into the Olympics. Um, And we're still trying to kind of figure out what the schedule is going to look like beyond then. I think we'll probably um, do a couple weeks where we will have uh, more of our Wes Anderson marathon, um, and do some shorter episodes there. Um, and then, and then we'll kind of pick it back up as we head into the fall. Uh, and at that point, we're going to be having tons and tons and tons of stuff to talk about. Um, there'll be probably weeks where we, there's too many movies for us to want to review for that week. So, um, we'll, we'll take a look at the schedule and kind of try to set things up so that we have an idea going into August, what August might look like. Uh, but you can expect this upcoming weekend to have the Space Jam New Legacy review. Um, and then after that, we'll probably have a couple uh, Wes Anderson marathon movies. All right. Uh, I think that is all for this week. Until this upcoming weekend, have a great week. We'll see you later.